Let's pray as we look at the word this morning. Father, I want to thank you that you are a speaking God. I want to thank you that you are the one who doesn't just create, but you speak the word that creates. And Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word that it would create something in our hearts today. I pray for revelation. I pray for hope. I pray for faith. I pray for wisdom as we look at your word together this morning. Lord, I bless you because you are good and what you do is good. And I ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray as well for Junior Church. I pray as they get back into teaching our children, I pray you'd give them wisdom. I pray for our children that they would come to know you, the living God. Lord, let them experience and encounter you in such a real way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So for me, I I tend to work in yearly cycles, but for me, it always starts in September, and that's probably because I've got children, and September to August is kind of a a good cycle. Anybody else kind of go September to August? Yep, oh, two of us, the rest of you go January to December, well, oh, March to March, is that because it's the uh, tax year? So we are moving on to some different things. We've been having a chat as a leadership team. I've been praying through in how we move forward as a church. And one of the challenges is this. I would love every Sunday to be a Sunday that not just makes you feel loved, but says everything's okay, everything's going to be okay, God will fix all the problems, it'll all be sorted. But I am aware that the testimony of the Bible is that many people go through difficulty. So if you have never, ever gone through a difficulty in your life, can you stick your hand up? We'll probably get a few children if they're not out. So we all go through difficulty. So the challenge is, how do we as a church best equip you and best help in how we follow Jesus? That's the big challenge, isn't it? Now, part of that is, as we worship and as God's presence comes and, and as we share testimony and as you allow God to use you, that corporately we begin to sense something of God. And that's really, really important. But the other side to it is that when we look at hearing from God, it's always got to be based in this, hasn't it? Anybody watch YouTube or anything on YouTube? A few of you. Now, YouTube's great, but YouTube's also rubbish. You get what I mean? YouTube's got some awesome stuff on it, but it's also got a whole load of codswallop, or whatever you want to call it, on there. And the challenge is, Jesus said that in the last days, we will have lots of false prophets, we will have false teaching, people taking people away. In 2 Timothy, we read this, For a time is coming... When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And the platform that that happens on is YouTube. You can listen to anything on there, from extremist stuff. And so my job as a pastor of the church and our job as a leadership is to make sure that what we teach you is in line with this book. Do I need to change this or are we okay? So we need to make sure 
that what we teach is in line with Scripture. Now, we don't talk much about the resurrected Jesus because we're kind of very engaged in the Gospels. And the Gospels are Jesus on the earth. Any idea where we see the resurrected Jesus interacting with the church in the New Testament? Have a little think. Where do we see the risen Jesus interacting with his church in the New Testament? Revelation. There are seven churches in Revelation that get a visit from the resurrected Christ who tells them some things. And if you read through, let me tell you, it's not for the faint of heart because these churches are going through martyrdom. They're being killed for their faith. They're being attacked by Jews that are called a synagogue of Satan. They're being attacked by the Romans and the Gentiles. And in the midst of it, the resounding kind of command from Jesus is stick with the truth that I gave you. Hold fast to it. And I want to say to you this morning, that is the most important thing that you do. If you ever stop reading this, if you ever stop believing in Scripture, you will end up finding yourself drifting because the culture is so powerful. If you've ever been to another nation and you go to their church, you think, wow, man, this is different. And I'll tell you why, because every culture imbibes Christianity. So the Christianity that we have is also a reflection of our culture. This is not, the New Testament doesn't say that when you gather on a Sunday, have everybody sitting towards you and have someone preaching and doing worship. It doesn't say that. It gives us some hints as to the kind of things that are to occur, but they are more about the move of the Spirit than they are about the form. And so what we're looking at doing is I'm going to start preaching through the New Testament. Over the last 13 years that I've been here, I've done quite a bit of topical preaching. But the thing that challenges me as a, a preacher is it's always easy to preach on what you want to preach. But there are things in the Bible that I don't want to preach on. But by preaching through we find that we cover every conceivable subject. So we're going to start in the book of Matthew. That's not just because it is the first book of the Bible, but it's because it's a really important book in the New Testament. The position of Matthew in the New Testament is not an accident. Its position as the first book is because... For the early church, the Gospel of Matthew was the most widely used book that was available. This is what one of the commentaries I read states. The NIV um, application commentary says this. It is no exaggeration to state that the faithful who lived between the end of the first and the end of the second centuries came to know the words and deeds of Christ on the basis of the Gospel of Matthew. Really important. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are living in 65 AD. So you are some 30 or so years after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. And you're coming towards the end of the lifespan of many of the apostles. And I want you to think for a moment. You've heard of Jesus 
And you've heard of some of the amazing miracles he's done. You've heard that he rose from the dead, but you're getting a conflicting report here. Some people say the disciples stole his body. Other people say he rose from the dead. You've heard about him talking about sacrifice and the forgiveness of sin. How do you find out the truth or more? Because in AD 65, you can't whip out your smartphone and go on to Wikipedia and say, Jesus Christ, oh, and it gives you a nice little history. You can't go to a bookshop and buy a book written that talks about Jesus. How do you find out about Jesus Christ? And the simple answer is this. You go to where the Christians meet and you listen to them talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. In our modern era, we forget because we have so many Christian books on so many subjects about, uh, this is a really old statistic, but it must have been at least well over 15 years ago, there were 300 new Christian books published every single month. That's a massive amount of stuff. And then think about the internet, how much is there. And yet the early church had nothing except the faithful retelling of what Jesus said and what Jesus did by the apostles. The apostles were told, go make disciples of everybody. What does that look like? Well, it means you've got to teach them what you've been taught. Jesus said, what I've taught you as disciples, I want you going to teach others. Here's a big question for us as a church. How do we measure if we are a healthy church in the eyes of God? The simple truth is this, if we are making disciples. Now that doesn't mean if we've got more bums on seats. It means if we are sitting down with people and we are taking everything we know about Jesus and passing it on and helping them to pass that on. And we'll be looking at that more in the next three months because that is our mandate. Our mandate as a church is to pass it on. And that doesn't mean we've got to fill all of these seats. If If I'm honest, I don't like big church. I think it's too easy to hide. But wouldn't it be great if each of us was in a small group where there are people who never come to our church and they sit with you and you're passing on to them what has been passed on to you about who Jesus is, about what Jesus did and about what all of that means. And so the apostles were faithful. They took what they had witnessed of Jesus and in gatherings where they went, they passed on that information to other people. Now, they hit a bit of a snag. So the Apostle Paul really believed that Jesus was coming back soon in his lifetime. It's very evident from reading his writings that Jesus is coming soon. And so you can imagine for the Apostles that when they start to get into their 60s and 70s, they think, maybe not. So what are we going to do? We're here because the apostles would have stood up in the church and they would have said, guys, when I walk with Jesus, this is what he said. This is what Jesus did. He went over to this leper and he put his hand on, they get healed and people go, wow. And then they spoke about Jesus talking to them about sin and forgiveness of sin. And then they had the Sermon on the Mount about how we are to behave. And as time went on, the Holy Spirit prompted them to write down what they had seen 
and what they had heard. So in around AD 60, Matthew wrote his gospel. Any idea which Matthew we're talking about? Yep, Matthew the tax collector. In Matthew 10.3, he is called Matthew the tax collector. In Mark 2.14, Jesus calls him as he sits in his tax collector's booth. Now, here's a bit of a snag. How many, how many of you really love the tax collectors? I bet it's a joy, isn't it, when you see the tax being paid? Uh, we won't talk because we've got some folks that work at HMRC. <laughs> tax collectors did the job of taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans. Just think about that for a moment. They took the money from their own people and gave it to the occupying nation. That meant that for Jews, they were traitors. They were taking from their own and giving to another nation. So tax collectors in Jewish culture were despised because they said, you guys are a bunch of traitors because you are helping those that are oppressing us and you're taking our money to do it. Wow. And along comes Jesus. He sees this Jew who's a tax collector. He's got crowds around him and he says, hey, Matthew, come, follow me. Can you imagine culturally what that would do? And yet I just love the fact that Jesus is not bound by culture. He's not bound by political status. He calls people because he knows who he is to call. And without Matthew, we would have not had one of the main sources of who Jesus was, of doctrine, of theology, of all the things we benefit from. It came from a despised tax collector. Now, it may surprise you, when you open up your Bible, I bet it says, uh, the, the first New Testament book, it says Matthew, doesn't it? In the original, it doesn't say that. None of the Gospels have a title. Yeah, There is no name on any of the Gospels, and there is a reason for that. The reason is that Matthew would more than likely have written his gospel and shared it every time he went to a Christian meeting, and so he didn't need to say who he was. I mean, I don't, on my sermons, I don't write on here, this is a sermon by Simon Smalus, because I know it, and you guys know it. And so Matthew would have shared that, and then people said, that's really good, can I have a copy? So somebody made a copy, it went somewhere else, and they all knew, because it was passed from mouth to mouth, they all knew that it was Matthew. The problem that we hit is a few centuries later, it's then not as clear that it was Matthew. And so they added on, this is the gospel according to Matthew, and we've got the other gospels as well. Now, the good thing is, Apart from a few, that the gospel was written by Matthew is taken as read. All of our church fathers in our church history in 2,000 years refer to him as being the author of the gospel. Why am I saying that? Because it's important that we know who wrote it. I was going to say something else, but I'll leave that for a moment. 
So my question is, why did Matthew write it? I've already mentioned one reason why he wrote it, because he needed to pass on what he had received to other people. I want to ask you for a moment, are you passing on what you've received? Are you making time and effort to pass on what God has given you? You might think, yeah, but, but I don't have much to pass on. Well, the parable of the talents doesn't care, does it? The parable of the talent says, if you've only got a little bit and you pass on, that's really fine. I mean, Jesus said that if you give a prophet a cup of water, you will get a prophet's reward. I mean, that's not a big job, is it? And so I want to challenge you a little bit this morning. You, as a believer, know more about Jesus than the early disciples did because you have had 2,000 years of a distillation of all of the theology that we now believe that is much easier to explain. And I want to challenge you, are you sharing that? Now, let me say, I know it's not easy. All I have to do is mention one word, sexuality, and man, our world explodes. And yet, if we don't pass it on, how is it ever going to be passed on? I mean, if we, who are the ones who have the truth, don't share it with those who are in darkness, how are they ever going to hear? I mean, we're told in Romans 10, how can people hear unless somebody is sent? And if they're not sent and they don't preach and it just goes on, the point being is we need to share. And that doesn't mean that you have to go into the middle of West Brom, get a little stool, stand up there with a megaphone. No, no, you just share with the people that you know. Here's a, here's a, a little challenge for this week. Why don't you pray, if you pray in the morning or if you pray in the evening, why don't you pray and say, Lord, I want an opportunity to share one thing about you with one person this week. I guarantee you, you will get that opportunity. And the more you ask God for opportunities to share, the more he'll give you. Now, part of it, which I'm trying to remedy here, part of it is we need to know what we're sharing. We need to know who we're talking about. We need to make sure that we are bringing in the truth of who Jesus is. The whole gospel of Matthew is a counter-cultural gospel. There are many areas within it that go so against the culture of the day. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this little couplet. He says, you've heard it said... But now I'm going to say to you. And we will have loads of those experiences. I talk to folks and say, you've heard it said that the world was created from a big explosion. But I say to you that God made it. We can go on. You've heard it said that, yeah, divorce is fine. But Jesus says, no, it's not. You've heard it said that you can have sex with anyone you want. You can switch partners as much as you like. But Jesus says, well, well no, that's not okay. You've heard it said, well, if you get away with lying, it's fine. But Jesus said, well, no, you don't get away with it. These are all counter-cultural things. And let me tell you, you start to say those and people won't like you. But here's the rub. They didn't like Jesus either. I mean, John the Baptist came as the forerunner to Jesus 
and he spoke the truth. Jesus came and spoke the truth and they were both killed by the Romans and the Jews. Now we could opt for the easy life. Let's just remain dumb and say nothing. Let's just leave it and say, hey, I don't want to upset the apple cart or the status quo. The difficulty is that even there, Jesus said, if you don't stand up for me, if you're not doing that, then I'm not going to stand up for you. Now, that's, that's a quite a hard saying. So we have a responsibility. But, I, you know, I want to say in the midst of it that you're not on your own in doing this, but the Holy Spirit is there. It, the scripture says really clearly that if you ever get put before the court or before magistrates or whoever because of what you've said, the Holy Spirit will give you the very words that you need to speak. And I will tell you, those words will be full of power and authority. Now, they may not get you out of jail. But they will certainly be words that will pass on the truth. If you've ever, how many of you heard of John Wesley? I love John Wesley. If you ever get the chance to read or listen to his journals, if you listen to them, it's something like 22 hours, I think. It's just loads of stuff on there, just amazing. But John Wesley, I was listening to his, his, his um journals and he was saying in there that he went and preached in the place and people responded positively he came out of it and he said I'm not sure I preached the gospel he says because they weren't throwing things at me you know John Wesley that there's one account where he goes into a pub to preach and they set up this table and he's standing on the table and people are so angry at him preaching that they go into a field, they get a bull and they push the bull into the pub. And so there is a bull running rampant in the pub and John Wesley is still there preaching. And as the bull comes towards him, his brethren pick up the table and move him out the way and he just carries on preaching. You know, we might not be called to do that kind of a thing. But we are certainly called to say to people, there is another way to live. There is another way that we are called to live. It's called the Jesus way. It's called the God way. And you know what? It would make our world a much better place than it currently is. We are in such a blessed time. I know we might not think it. Your home that you live in is more comfortable than a king's castle was 200 years ago. Just think about that for a moment. We've got windows that open and close, they're double glazed. Hey, I'm old enough to remember single glazing with ice on the inside. I remember lying in bed, getting ready for school and going, and this cloud and the cold and my brother and I debating who's going to stick on the gas fire. And then we'd hang our clothes in front of the gas fire and just watch all the damp kind of rise from it. I know for you young folks, I'm a bit too old, but you know, we live in a blessed time. And even though we are socially and politically moving into a very bad time because the values are so bad in our UK world, 
we can't deny the fact that God has blessed us. And we have a responsibility to pass that on. Uh, you've heard of the French Revolution, yep? Off with their heads. Well, the UK was in the throes of having a similar revolution, but John Wesley's preaching stopped it. I mean, that guy preached to so many people in so many places that he changed the tide of the moral values of the UK. And if you read in his journals, the moral values, they were no worse than our moral values today, and yet he, he did it. And so I want to encourage you. We have a responsibility as the church to be salt and light in our community. And if we're not that, what's the point? You know, we've preached a gospel for 200 years that has in essence said the only thing that's important is one decision and one experience with God and that's it. And that's never true. If somebody puts their hand up in the meeting and says, yes, I want to follow Jesus, that is the very beginning. That's not the end of something. Can you imagine being um, Matthew, the tax collector? You're sitting there in the booth and Jesus says, come follow me. I mean, you've got an option, haven't you? You can carry on sitting there collecting your money or you can leave all of that and follow Jesus. And we kind of think if we put a hand up in a meeting and say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, that it doesn't mean that on Monday and Tuesday and for the rest of my life and all of my decisions that I need to follow Jesus. And Jesus may well get us to walk a path that is not an easy path. But he says in scripture, we will enter the kingdom of heaven through much trouble. I would never have chosen the path that God has asked me to walk, but I can't see that I would have ever have had a better path to walk. It's not been an easy path. You know, this year we've seen a lot of people go to glory, some unexpectedly and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, pain and hurt in missing those people. But we, we walk a journey that is not easy. It's a journey that has loss. It's a journey that has persecution. It's a journey that has is fraught with difficulty. But in the midst of it, Jesus says, I will give you a peace on the inside. Let me repeat the scripture that I started the, the service with this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry a heavy burden. Wow. What's your burden like? Is it a heavy burden? Is your work life a heavy burden? And he says, I will give you rest. You know, sometimes that's all I'm after, you know. So I think, you know what? I just want some rest. Because oftentimes things never stop, do they? And here's Jesus. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is easy to bear. And if you've got something that is a heavy burden that you can't bear, I want to say to you this morning, that is not from Jesus. We will have troubles, we will have difficulties, but he will take us through that. But he wants us to take his yoke upon us. Now that requires faith. 
Because it means we trust God with our finances. It means we trust God with our jobs, with our houses. I mean, if, if we put our trust in our MPs and in our financial system, man, we are up the creek without a paddle. But if we trust that Jesus will see us through no matter what, this book should encourage you that there is enough testimony that Jesus leads his people in the end to a victory and to triumph. Maybe not in this life, but certainly in the one to come. Time is gone. Not even covered half of what I wanted to cover. But I want to say to you that what we're going to be doing over time, we're going to be going through chapter by chapter of the teachings of Jesus and we're going to preach it in a way that say, are we doing this? I was reading A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite authors. And he said, we can claim every promise if we fulfill every condition. And I want to encourage you this morning. This book is so full of promises. You know, you don't have to carry those heavy burdens, but we need to take a hold of the things that Jesus asks us to do. And then we will begin to see not just a power of God released, but we'll see a freedom and a peace that we possess on the inside. Let's pray together.